Laudato Jesus Christus, Vatican and World News. Today, Tuesday, February 6th, is the Feast of St. Paul Miki and Companions, Japanese Martyrs. And these are today's headlines. The UN's Palestinian Relief Agency could run out of funds by the end of February. Turkey and Syria continue to suffer a humanitarian crisis one year on from a devastating earthquake. And around a thousand priests from throughout the world are in Rome for a conference on ongoing priestly formation. In the Vatican, I'm Christopher Wells. Funding for the UN's Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees in the Near East, known by its initials as UNRWA, will reportedly run out at the end of February if donor nations fail to resume their support for the humanitarian organization. The UNRWA provides aid to some 2 million Palestinians in Gaza and refugees across the Middle East. Allegations emerged last month that several staff members at UNRWA were involved in Hamas's attack on Israel on October 7th, which set off the Israeli-Hamas war in Gaza. At least 16 countries have subsequently paused funding for UNRWA, including the United States and Germany, the agency's biggest donors. Marta Lorenzo, the European representative for UNRWA, tells Vatican Radio's Devin Watkins that people enduring the war in Gaza and people across the region will suffer if full funding does not return. What it would mean in practice is that because people are so desperate in Gaza, we are talking about more than one million people who are sheltering in our installations. Knowing that we are the backbone of the humanitarian response in Gaza without donors reverting this decision on their suspension, it will mean that by the end of February we will not be able to provide life-saving assistance to over 2 million people. And then if we go further, it means that knowing that more than half of them are children and how the conflict is intensifying, we see lots of people who are hungry, living in appalling conditions. This is a huge impact. And beyond that, UNRWA works in the region. So uh, any cut or any suspension of funding, it will not only affect Gaza, it will also affect the work we do in Syria, Lebanon, Jordan and the West Bank. So what is UNRWA doing to respond to these allegations that members were affiliated with Hamas? These are, of course, very, very serious allegations. And what our Commissioner General has done was to, as he knew about these allegations, he immediately terminated the, the contracts of the staff members and called for an independent investigation into the allegations that is going to be conducted by the United Nations Office for Internal Oversight in New York. This is an independent body from UNRWA. And as a UN humanitarian organization, we keep on uh, highlighting that we have zero tolerance for any such alleged incidents. Could you share more in detail, I guess, about what kind of work UNRWA has been carrying out since 1949? And since then, we have been providing education, health, social services, but also humanitarian assistance to Palestine refugees in all our fields of operation. So that means Gaza, West Bank, including East Jerusalem. So as I said before, our work is very, very important beyond Gaza. It's very important to maintain the stability of the region. 
And that was the European representative for UNRWA, Marta Lorenzo, speaking with Vatican Radio's Devin Watkins. Staying in the region, one year ago today, a 7.8 magnitude earthquake rocked southeast Turkey and north Syria with thousands of aftershocks, resulting in a total of nearly 60,000 deaths in Turkey and at least 6,000 more in Syria. Blue Marist brother Georges Sabe, who works in Aleppo, spoke with Vatican News about the trauma still affecting the Syrian population. There's still a need of humanitarian aid and of the Marist efforts to restore hope amid hardships compounded by 13 years of war, sanctions, and skyrocketing prices. Blue Mary's brother, George Sabe, lives in Aleppo, one of the Syrian northwest cities most affected by last year's earthquake. He explained to Vatican News' Alexandra Sirgan that apart from the massive material damage to houses and buildings, leaving many displaced, the earthquake has left a deep psychological trauma on the population already marked by 13 years of war. One of the consequences of the war is the economic crisis compounded by the sanctions imposed on Syria. Although the international community claims they are not directed against the Syrian people, the sanctions heavily affect the population in daily life. Brother Sabeh further lamented the scarce humanitarian aid from non-governmental organizations and the international community. He recalled that since January the 1st, the UN World Food Programme has stopped all aid to Syria. Personally, he said, I believe that on this point we don't have the right to abandon a suffering population. He therefore pleaded the international community not to abandon the Syrian people to their plight. Je lance un appel. Nous avons besoin de vivre dignement. We need to live with dignity, and aid from the world must help us get back on our feet, not reduce us to begging, he said. Despite this dark picture, according to Brother Sabih, there is still space for hope based on faith, and this is the main goal of the Blue Marist work in Aleppo. En tant que Mariste, nous sommes en train de travailler pour continuer à semer l'espérance dans le concret. We are working to continue sowing hope in concrete ways with food baskets, psychological support, education, promotion of human development, and financial assistance to help pay rents. I am Lisa Zingarini. Turning to the Americas, El Salvador's President Nayib Bukele, who has vigorously combated organized crime in his first term, has been re-elected by a landslide majority in recent presidential elections. James Blears has this report. The result, which took a few hours more than expected, was never in doubt. Its huge margin of 83% is a resounding approval at the ballot box for his iron fist law and order purge on the notorious and terrorizing street gangs, radically reducing crime right across the board, particularly concerning homicide rates during his first five years' term. Still only 42, he's been handed a mandate of five more years to complete the job that he started. An accompanying triumph means that his new Ideas Party, which he himself created in 2018, has won 58 of the 60 seats in the National Assembly, a democratic green light approval to govern on. His success has come with the arrests of more than 75,000 people, which constitutes more than 1% of the entire population, and with it repeated extensions of the state of emergency laws. The presidency had been restricted to a single term, but in 2021, the constitutional 
court dominated by his supporters granted him permission to stand again, and now he's won this historic second term. Bukele, who describes himself as the world's coolest dictator, will be sworn in at an official inauguration in June. More of the same is most certainly on the upcoming agenda. For Vatican Radio, James Blair's reporting. Britain's King Charles III, who is 75 years old, has been diagnosed with cancer and is stepping back from his public engagements while he undergoes treatment. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said thankfully the king's illness has been caught early and that the king remained in regular contact with the government. Susie Hodges has this report. The shock announcement of King Charles's cancer diagnosis has prompted a flurry of messages of support sent by leading figures across Britain and from many world leaders. US President Joe Biden expressed his concern about the monarch and said navigating cancer takes hope and courage. The revelation that King Charles is suffering from cancer came less than 18 months after he acceded to the throne, following the death of his mother, Queen Elizabeth II. In the statement on Monday night announcing the news of the monarch's cancer, Buckingham Palace said the king has begun a series of treatments following the diagnosis and remains wholly positive and is looking forward to resuming his full schedule as soon as possible. On the advice of his doctors, the king has suspended his public engagements but will continue to undertake state business and official paperwork during this period. Buckingham Palace says the cancer was discovered during the King's recent three-day stay at a private London hospital, where he underwent a corrective procedure for a benign enlarged prostate. It said subsequent diagnostic tests identified a form of cancer. Although the palace statement did not reveal what type of cancer the King is suffering from, it did make clear that it was not prostate cancer. The King's daughter-in-law, Kate, the Princess of Wales and wife to the heir to the British throne, Prince William, spent two weeks at the same London hospital last month following abdominal surgery for an unspecified but non-cancerous condition. King Charles's disclosure about his treatment for an enlarged prostate and now his cancer marks a clear break with royal tradition. Buckingham Palace said the king had chosen to share his cancer diagnosis to prevent speculation and in the hope it will assist public understanding for all those around the world who may be suffering from cancer. For Vatican Radio, I'm Susie Hodges reporting. And finally, here in the Vatican, around a 1,000 priests from some 60 different countries around the world have gathered in Rome for a conference on clerical formation. Rekindle the gift of God that is within you is the theme of this week's meeting, which is being sponsored by the Vatican's Dicasteries for the Clergy, Evangelization, and Eastern Churches. Francesca Merlo has this report. Cardinal Lazarus Yu, Prefect of the Dicastery for the Clergy, opened the conference on clerical formation by recalling the moment Pope Francis appointed him to his current role. On that day, he said, a bishop friend of mine told me, now you are responsible for ensuring that all the priests in the world are happy. These, Cardinal Yu said, are words that I have never been able to forget and that constantly accompany me in the service of mine. It was this remark, the Korean board pilot said, that had led him to organize the conference. Many priests today, he noted, are tired and discouraged, caught off guard by the challenges of today's society and the burdens they carry. 
Thus, he said, the importance of providing priests with the necessary support and accompaniment and thus the need for ongoing formation has increasingly come to the forefront. Then, Cardinal Tagle, Prefect of the Dicastery for Evangelization, which is co-sponsoring the conference, also offered a few words before proceedings got underway. He stressed firstly that priests must not think that their formation ends once they have been ordained. Rather, he said, it is precisely because we are ordained to the service of God and the Church that we need to be continuously formed. Secondly, Cardinal Tagle said that priests need ongoing education to overcome the tendency to absolutize and glorify one's culture. Ordained ministers, he said, must learn the cultural intelligence to appreciate one's culture, but also to admit the brokenness of one's culture and to affirm the good elements in other cultures. Finally, noting that many priests are close to people who suffer or are indeed greatly suffering themselves, Cardinal Tagle called for clerical formation that addresses wounds and pains that could easily lead to vindictiveness, cynicism and hatred. I'm Francesca Merlo. And that brings us just about to the end of this edition of Vatican and World News. For more on these and other stories, we invite you to visit our Vatican News web portal at www.vaticannews.va. You can also catch the latest updates on our Facebook, X, and Instagram pages. And a reminder to join us tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Rome time. Live from the Paul VI Hall, where the Holy Father will be holding his weekly general audience. You can catch that on all the Vatican Media channels. Many thanks this afternoon. Go to our sound engineers in studio in the Vatican. I'm Christopher Wells.